0: for the reading of God's Word this is God's Word we believe that it is inspired it is infallible or inerrant it is authoritative it is sufficient to tell us how to do life in Christ and so I hope you will give careful heed to God's Word as it is read aloud Ephesians 5 15 to 21 look carefully then how you walk not as unwise but as wise making the best use of the time because the days are evil therefore do not be foolish but understand what the will of the lord is and do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery but be filled with the spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians five fifteen to 21, this is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that we have been blessed with a day in which we have sufficient health and ability to come together in this room and to worship you, to lift up our voices and our hearts in praise, to offer prayers, to hear your word read, later to take communion together as brothers and sisters in Christ, and now to preach and to hear your word. May this time be well spent. May our efforts at either preaching or hearing not be in vain. May there be results, lasting, spirit-worked results in our lives. So have your way in us now, we pray. Do with us as you please. Make of us those who are more fit to give you honor and glory and blessing and praise, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So the verses we looked at last week gave us five commands to look at. The portion we're looking at today has nine commands. So if you do the math, I have a couple minutes per command. What we're going to do instead is some of them are going to get about 10 seconds, and others of them are going to get much more. And don't worry, hopefully you'll get out on time. That is the plan. So, nine commands. Let's find the first one in verses 15 and 16. Here they are again. Look carefully. There it is. There's our first command. Look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time. Second command, because the days are evil. First command, look carefully, then, how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Now... Let me remind you, these commands, rendering God obedience to these commands, is not how you become right with God. It's it's not what at some certain point in sufficient obedience makes you a Christian. No, that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You simply call upon the name of the Lord and turn to him that he might be your God, and you find saving grace from Jesus Christ. Then what are these commands? Well, these are the ways now we render him our, our obedience. Some of his last words on the planet before he ascended to the right hand of the Father, our Lord Jesus uttered were these Make disciples of all the nations, baptize them, and teach them to do everything that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you even unto the end of the age. One of the reasons we gather is so that some of that part is spent on teaching God's people, those who are redeemed by the precious blood of Christ, to do everything he commands. And so today we have nine commands that he he gives us through Paul's pen, and these are things we want to do. So the first one again is, look carefully then how you walk. Now, most of you, if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you will understand that the word walk here doesn't mean be careful when you move your left foot forward and then your right foot forward and be careful where you put them. No, it's a metaphor for your entire Christian life. So once you come under the lordship of Christ, he is then sovereign over everything you do. That's your walk. It's how you live all day, every day. And here he tells us to look carefully. Other versions, other translations have it uh, be circumspect. It's an old word. We don't use that one so much anymore. The idea might just be what we have here. Look so that you can walk carefully. Watch where you're going in your life. Be very careful about how you live. Look carefully how you walk. It reminded me, thinking about this, reminded me without trying to be reminded that Debbie's dear mother lived with us for the last two years and eight months of her la- life. She passed away in our front room, which was her bedroom, just about two years ago. And uh, very frequently, I would go in to check on her. She'd be asleep in her recliner watching or not watching Andy of Mayberry or I Love Lucy or shows that she loved. She watched them over and over and over and over. She had a lot of dementia, but she loved those shows. But the thing was, I found that in our house, right outside of her bedroom door, and I'd want to creep in there quietly in case she was sleeping. I didn't want to wake her up. But when you stepped on the floor right in front of her door, it made a big creaking sound. So what would I do? Well, I would walk. You could, you could engineer your way around that, go way over this side by that wall or way over that side by that wall, and if you looked really carefully how you walked, you wouldn't make the big creaking sound. You wouldn't arrest Alice in her sleep. That's the idea here. As a follower of the Lamb, there are places in this world, there are things to do in this world, and you don't want to go there, but it's possible you will, so be careful. That's what he's saying. Perhaps you've heard of the Puritans. They were by and large, English believers in the 1600s in England, down into the 1700s. You might even say there were still some that could be called Puritans in the 1800s. Maybe Charles Haddon Spurgeon died 1892. Maybe he was the last of the great Puritans. But another name for the Puritans, and it was a term of derision kind of hurled their way, they were called precisions. Because they were so precise about what God's word taught on everything. And they would preach long sermon series on what would seem to us to be like minutia, beat out really thin. One of the great Puritan pastors, and I don't remember which one it was now, but one of them, he was uh, was being accused of being a precision and asked, why are you precisions? Why are you so precise? And his answer, sir, I serve a precise God. And so do we, the same God. And he would have us be very precise. He would have us look very carefully how we walk, how we conduct ourselves all day, every day. More about it. Then he gives us a hint what he means. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So here there are two options in how you might conduct yourself, two options in how you might walk. Option number one, you're walking in a way that is wise. Option number two, you're walking in a way that is not wise. So pretty much everything you ever do, you could do it either in wisdom or not. And you're to choose the former and not the latter. Walk as, as wise, not as unwise. Now you will know that wisdom is choosing the best means to the best ends. So first you've got to know what is the best end. The best end is that you would glorify God and enjoy him forever, and by his spirit and by his grace and as a regenerate child of God, keep his commandments to his honor and glory. And then you have to figure out, all right, moving back from that, so what are the best possible means I could employ to bring God glory and to render glorifying obedience to him? That is walking in carefully it's walking in wisdom wisdom is making good decisions you will know that don't you and my how to, how we need wisdom we need wisdom in all of our interactions with other people we need interaction we need wisdom pardon me every time we open our mouths and have a conversation and words come out and go into those ears. And in some circumstances, we really need wisdom when that is happening. We need need wisdom when we say, I do and become a husband or a wife. Now, Lord, please give me wisdom. How do I do this? We need wisdom when we are gainfully employed and we bring home a paycheck And maybe we have some discretionary funds. Do you really need wisdom? What would I do with those? They could go in a lot of directions. You need wisdom with your finances. You need wisdom with all kinds of things, everything, with with your friends, with your children. Do you need wisdom raising children? Oh, yes, much. You need wisdom in relating to the opposite sex who is not your husband or your wife. You need wisdom in your relationship to your church. You need wisdom in the things that you purchase, right? So this is what Paul is saying. So now that you're in Christ, you need to have a very precise, careful walk, a life, and it should be characterized by wisdom and not by being unwise or foolish say, well, I feel like I need more wisdom. Where do I get it? Well, there are a lot of places. One of them might be just life experience and paying attention to the pain of your folly, and hopefully you learn and grow from it. I've, I've had those kinds of life experiences. But there are two very simple ways given us in God's Word on how to increase our wisdom, and one is simply just to pray. James 1.5, I'll remind you, James says, Does any of you lack wisdom? Let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, King James, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. So it's very good, it's very biblical to just pray a lot. Oh, Lord, I'm going to go spend time with him. Please give me Wisdom. My wife and I are having challenges. We're about to have a conversation. Oh, Lord, please give me wisdom. It's very appropriate to pray, and God answers the prayer offered in faith. But then you don't want to just pray and ignore another very important place to which God sends you to increase your wisdom factor, and that place would be, well, what is it? Which book in the Bible am I going to refer to now? You really have three to choose from, because there are three that are considered to be wisdom literature, Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. Which one am I going to? Proverbs. A treasure chest of wisdom. If you're a follower of Christ, you absolutely owe it to yourself to periodically read through the Proverbs and maybe for a season in life every now and then to just binge and binge and binge on the Proverbs, praying all the while, oh Lord, help me to drink in this wisdom. And just to give you a little taste, just to tantalize you a bit, I selected several. I was tempted to pour in a lot of Proverbs right here, but I've got nine commands I'm supposed to cover, so... A couple are gonna have to suffice. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be confirmed. Two witnesses today. One is Proverbs chapter one. The first four verses are a purpose statement. So what will these Proverbs do for me if I delve into them? Well, here we read Proverbs one, one through four. The Proverbs of Solomon son of David, king of Israel, here's what they're for, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction and in wise dealing in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. That's what the Proverbs are for. That's what they'll do for you. Oh, Lord, I need more wisdom. Please give me some. And then you just stand there expecting wisdom to drop out of heaven and into your throat. No, now take up some of the means he's given you and go, for example, into the book of Proverbs and learn. Here's a little bit more. One other section from Proverbs, chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. What will the Proverbs do for you? Blessed is the one who finds wisdom and the one who gets understanding, for the gain from her is better than gain from silver and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels and nothing you desire can compare with her. So you get the idea, you need wisdom you ought to pray for wisdom, and then you ought to go read into some wisdom, because there's tons of it. There's a treasure chest of it waiting for you in the book of Proverbs. So back to our verse. Next slide, please. Slide I me in Ephesians five fifteen. So look carefully, then, how you walk, specifically, not as unwise, but as wise. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Don't forsake them say the Proverbs elsewhere. But then he tells us, a more. He, he zeroes in and he gives us a more specific kind of wisdom that he's interested in us gaining. It's gonna be our second command. And here it is. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise. Here's the second command. Making the best use of the time and reason because the days are evil. So here's the second command. First is get wisdom. Be wise, walk in wisdom. Second one is making the best use of the time. A a more literal translation and some other versions have it this way. Redeeming the time. The Greek verb ex agorazo. It's an intensified verb like the ex on the front means really buying up the time is the idea So to just quickly illustrate what that might mean, it's something like this. If you like steak, and if you don't, I hope you're young, and there's time where you can turn from that folly and become wise and learn to like steak. But if you like steak, and you like it pretty marbly, because that's where all the juicy flavor is, and there's a certain steak, and this is true for me, there's a certain steak that Wegman sells that you like, and you hear they've gone on sale, they're half price. But supplies are limited, so hurry and get there. I'm going to hurry to Wegmans, and I'm going to buy up. I'm going to seize the opportunity and buy me up some steaks and put them downstairs in the freezer for a later time. That's that's what this word is about. You have very limited time. The, The clock that measures your life, the calendar that measures your life, the clock is ticking, the calendar pages are turning, you have less and less time, soon you'll have a very extreme shortage of time, and then you'll have none at all. And it's happening very quickly. What does James say? I think it's James 1.18. What is your life? Is it not but a vapor that appears for a very short time? <sighs> About that long. And then it's gone. Then it disappears. So in light of that, Paul is telling us, while you have time left here on the planet, here's part of being wise and not unwise. Figure out what are the best investments, the best uses I can make of my very increasingly limited time. So in these evil days, be very careful, very wise to buy up the time. Let me just give you a little bit of advice on that and then we'll move on to the next command. So one, obviously, so avoid time wasters. Amen, so if that speaks to anybody here, all right. Avoid time wasters. Another one is keep recreation, recreation. Do you know what the word means? It means to recreate. What am I recreating? Tired nature recreation is not the end or the goal. Man, I wish I could quit my job and just recreate all the time. What would you be recreating from? What would you be recreating? No, the idea is my work is making me weary. I must recreate tired nature so that I may return to my tasks so that I can return to what's important in life. So keep recreation, recreation. I'm not sure that watching football all day on Saturday is really necessary to recreate tired nature, but that's just a thought. Another way you can make the best use of time, certainly you're never making a bad use of time, well almost never, is when you're reading your Bible and responding to it with prayers, certainly one very important use of your time to which you want to be committed is gathering for worship on the Lord's Day, as we'll see later in our passage, where you're speaking to one another in songs and hymns and spiritual songs. I want to go so I can speak to them while we're singing. That's interesting. So so buy up the time. Verse 17, please, slide man. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We're gonna just pass right by the do not be foolish one because that's the same one as he's repeating what he started with. Don't be unwise, but wise. That's number three, don't be foolish. Let's go right to number four, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the will of God as revealed In the word of God, his precepts that govern our behavior. You're to do this, you're not to do that. The will of the Lord. It's very important that as a believer you consider, hmm, in every area of my life, what does God want me to do? How do I walk carefully here? How do I be wise, not unwise? How do I redeem the time? Well, I know, I have to know what the will of the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do in this? You become a parent by the grace of God. Lord, how do you want me to parent? What kind of parent do you want me to be? You become a wife. Lord, what is your will for me as the wife of this man? You you become an employee somewhere. Lord, how am I to conduct myself as an employee? And there are very specific passages in his word for each of those. So understand what the will of the Lord is. What is God's will for human sexuality and its rightful expression? What is God's will for gender? What is God's will for race? These are all very important in our time. But let's go on from command number four, understand his will, know his will, to command number five. We'll read it in verse 18. Here it is. And do not get drunk with wine. I'm smiling because it's almost funny that that's in there. Out of of respect for God's word, I'll just back off of that funny thing a little bit. It is God's word, but it's almost funny. Like, Do we really need that commandment? Yes, we do. Don't get drunk with wine. Here's a reason why not. For that is debauchery. What does that mean? That's an excessive thing. That's taking something good to an excess in which it becomes something bad. You know, the devil has no raw materials to work with. He didn't create anything. He can only take what God has made for good uses and turn them, turn you in them, to bad uses. And this is taking something God has made and turning it into a bad use. Oh, I like wine. I'll get drunk with it. No, Paul says, for that is debauchery. Now, the word wine stands for, in our day, people have been invented and they've invented more kinds of drinks. So, the word wine stands for any kind of drink or any other substance, anything you might smoke, anything that you might swallow that's going to intoxicate you. So, the Bible says, don't. It's pretty easy to understand that, isn't it? Don't. Have you been getting plastered on Friday night? Well, don't. Don't be drunk with wine. Now, to be clear, the Bible does not forbid the consumption of alcohol itself. In fact, there are passages in which God even extols the values of alcohol. Not if you're an addict, not if one drink leads to incessant drinks, then don't ever even take the one. But there is a right use. And let me just run some of these by you quickly, and I'm not even putting them up there. I didn't want them to become that big in the sermon. But Psalm 104.15 talks about, and wine that makes glad the heart of man. There's nothing wrong with that. Or Proverbs 3.10. So, if you work hard, your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will overflow with new wine. Or Ecclesiastes 9, 7, go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart for God has already accepted your works. Nothing wrong with that. Or Proverbs 31, 6, give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to those who are bitter of heart. There are some medicinal and psychological uses for that in that verse. And Ecclesiastes 9, 7, sorry, Um, John chapter 3, at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, the Lord Jesus, his mother said, "Um, son, they're out of wine. need you to do something. I know you're just not a normal human. You were virgin conceived in my womb. I've been watching you for 30 years. I know there's something really astounding about you here. Can you do something about the absence of wine? It's their wedding. His response is shocking. What do do I have to do with you, O woman? But anyway, he does make the wine. Jesus doesn't rebuke her and say, wine? What would I have to do with wine? No, Jesus makes them wine. Probably not like the cheap box kind either. Probably something really good. And then Paul writes to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5.23, Timothy, uh, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your recurring infirmities. Interesting. Apparently, Timothy was a teetotaler, and Paul had to write him and say, go ahead and have some wine. It'll help you with your stomach, medicinal use. So many times the Bible uh, commends and even extols the virtues, the values, the benefits of A right use, a a modest use of wine or strong drink. But the Bible very clearly draws a line and says, don't get drunk. You've taken a good thing and turned it into a bad thing. And if you're getting plastered, I'll say again on Friday night, you're certainly not walking carefully. I mean, physically, literally, you might fall down. You're certainly not living precisely and circumspectly. No, your, your judgment is going to be off. So part of being wise, part of not being foolish is don't get drunk. And the Bible plainly also speaks about the abuse of wine in other passages. Here's a, here's a couple of them, Proverbs 20, verse 1. Wine is a mocker, only in its abuse. Strong drink is a brawler. It will pick a fight with you. And whoever is led astray by it is not wise. It's not walking in wisdom. Or again, Proverbs 23, 29, and 30. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has strife? Who has complaining? Who has wounds without cause? Who has redness of eyes? Answer, those who tarry long over wine. It's interesting, in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy, I think it's chapter 5, qualifications for widows, they must not be ones who... Linger long over the wine. That comes from this verse. Those who tarry long over wine, those who go to try mixed wine. And again, Proverbs 23, and this one is humorous, 32 to 34. In the end, it bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. What was that thing Muhammad Ali would say? (laughs) Like a butterfly and stings like a bee. (laughs) This This is something like that. It bites like a serpent and stings like an adder. Your eyes will see strange things. And your heart will utter in your mind perverse things. You will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea. That's pretty dumb. And this, this is the funny part. Like one who lies on the top of a mast. So there you are on a big old ship. You climb your way all the way up to the top of the mast, and somehow there's a plank there, and you lie down to rest. And what's happening up there? Well, as the boat moves down here, that's a great big lever going up in the air. And a little bit of movement here means a lot of movement up there. And you're up there going, that's you. When you abuse the good gift of God. So back to Ephesians 5.18, so don't get drunk with wine for that is debauchery. And now we come to the sixth commandment, here it is, but be filled with the spirit. So you see the connection, you see the comparison. When you get drunk with wine, you are filled with wine and it exerts its influence over you. And so, by contrast, instead of that filling, here's a different filling. Remember, there's a put off and there's a put on. Here's the filling you put on in the place of filling with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. So that's command number six. Now, what is that? Let me see if I can just make it easy, because we don't have a ton of time to cover this anyway, and we don't really need a ton of time on this. What will I experience... If I am filled with the Holy Spirit, what will that look like? What will that do to me or in me? I really like John Piper's answer better than any answer I have ever seen. John Piper says, being filled with the Spirit is having great joy in God. Where does he get that? Well, listen to Acts 15 or 13:52, not up there, Acts 13:52. The disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And Romans 15:13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. I think John Piper's onto something. Again, Piper writes, he's a little bit longer of the same thing. The fundamental meaning of being filled with the Spirit is being filled with joy that comes from God and, now anticipating our next command, and overflows in song. So when you are really experiencing the powers of the age to come, When you have a felt and a heightened awareness, a sense of the presence of God and the power of God and the glory of God and the things of God, when the power of the truth is weighty and has power over your soul with joy, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's why he goes on to our seventh command, speaking to one another. Let's read it again. The verse there. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm sorry. Do I have the next verse? Give me wherever you can find speaking to one another, please. Thank you. Speaking to one another. So, in the book of Acts, apparently that's not there. Sorry, slide man. In the book of Acts, the command to be filled, or the observation they were filled... Uh, Appears eight times. In all eight of them, here's what's added to the they were filled, and they spoke. Every single time. They were filled, and they spoke. Filled, spoke. Filled, spoke. Eight times, if you must. 2 verse 2, 2 verse 4, 4 verse 8, 4 verse 31, 9 verse 17, 9 verse 20, 13 verse 9, 13 verse 52. Just so you know, I'm not lying. I looked them up. There they are. So when you are filled with the Spirit, one of the things you will do is, out of the abundance of the filling of your heart and your joy in Christ, you will speak. You will speak with brothers and sisters about the things of God. Reminded me of a verse that I will put up for you, Malachi 3, 6. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. I don't think it means they just then started saying, hi, how are you, where do you live? Not that speaking. They spoke with one another about the things of God, about the things they had fallen in love with, about the truth that had gripped their souls. And here we have, when you are filled with the Spirit, you will be speaking to one another, but it is in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Now you have the next slide. There it is. Thank you. 519. Addressing one another. In psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Here is the context in which, here is the way in which Paul envisions you manifesting an infilling of the Spirit of God in your soul. It is when you are gathered with your brothers and sisters for corporate worship, and you are lifting your voices and singing God's praise. Now, do you ever find yourself, and I know many of you do because you tell me, Do you ever find yourself moved by something we're singing? What is that moving? Is it just your human emotions? Well, that may be in part what God is using, yes. But it is a filling of the Holy Spirit. And you see, one of the things we gather to do, look at the verse again, is to address one another in our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Spirit filled singing in the gathering of God's people is the primary way in which Paul envisions a manifestation of the Spirit's filling of your soul. Be filled as you're gathered speaking to one another in your psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. One of the exciting things about coming and gathering for worship is this is a place where God seems to open the spigots. Let's make it bigger. He opens the floodgates and pours the Holy Spirit into my soul, and I am caught up into his presence, and I'm delighting myself in the things of God. Yes, that's what's supposed to happen. By the way, there's an interesting point here. So, For whom is gathered worship? Well, obviously, it is primarily and firstly for God, right? 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So there's the greatest end for your singing in our gathered worship. You're singing to the praise of God. That's the greatest end. But you know, it's interesting. Here in Ephesians 5 and verse 19, the reason you're singing is you're singing to them, and they come first in this verse. And you're making melody in your heart to God. But you're singing to them. So you don't want to get, this would be super spiritual about what you do in Gathered work. You don't want to get like, I don't care about them. They're not even in the room. I'm just singing to God. It's all for God. It's just me and God. Well, that's good, but it's wrong. Because it doesn't go far enough. The text says, actually, you come to speak to them. That means, by the way, they ought to hear your voice. Are you a whisperer or a singer? Now, some of you maybe are whisperers because you don't want to throw off everybody for the five rows in front of you. By the way, a good vocal teacher can teach almost anyone to carry a tune. So there's that. If you're young and you're going to spend the rest of your life going to the assembly and singing, you might just want to get some lessons. But you're singing also, and here first... For the people who are in the room. So you want them to hear your voice. You say, well, why don't you all turn down the instruments? This is an interesting thing. So here's what people have found. And there's a lot more to this than I'm going to take the time for. But if you turn down the instruments, people turn down their voices because they don't want to be heard. So one way to enable people to sing more loudly is turn it up a little bit so they don't feel like my voice is just going to stand out in this place. So there are debates over that. You can see which way we've gone. We like some instruments. The Book of Psalms also has something to say about that. Praising God with loud cymbals. Symbols are about 115 decibels. That's louder than we ever get in this room by far. We have our cymbals encased so we can keep them down. But we come together to address one another in our psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Notice there's a variety of our hymnody, that's appropriate. And we're singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. Is that not what you do when we gather and you sing? Aren't you conscious of making melody in your heart to the Lord? Don't you love that? But don't you also love hearing the people behind you primarily Lifting their voices and singing, I do love it when the instruments go down and the people keep singing and you're in the front row, you hear the whole room and there's something wonderful in that. There's something beautiful in that. So come to church to sing to your brothers and sisters. They need to hear you sing and lift up your voice and make a joyful noise or a shout to the Lord. Sing loudly. Look up the word loud. I did that this week. Look up the word loud and chase it all over the Old Testament. There's a lot of loud in the Old Testament. I'll just give you an example. Not up there. Psalm 33, 1. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise the Lord with the lyre. That's an old-fashioned guitar. Make melody to him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings. With loud shouts. I want to tell you all, Cornerstone, bunch of people, we want to hear more loud shouts coming from spirit-filled hearts. say, well, how loud would a loud shout be? Well, what do you do when you're watching your favorite football team? Do they get more loud than God out of you? Are you more excited for them than you are for the things of God? God help you. Turn it down for the ravens. Turn it up for the Lord Jesus. Loud shouts. We're again Psalm 81:8. 8, sing aloud unto God our strength. Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Or Psalm 98:4, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All the earth, make a loud noise, and rejoice and sing praise. A loud noise. Now we're down to the eighth command. We're gonna make it. Hang in there. Eighth command, verse 20. Giving thanks always. This is what spirit-filled people do. This is what people walking in wisdom do. Giving thanks always and for everything. That's a lot of giving thanks. For everything. That's everything in your life. That's always everything. That's what he means. To God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The frequency, always. The occasions, all things. Giving thanks. And then... The ninth command, Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, submitting to one another. Now, many people take this, and maybe you have taken this. I'm going to differ with you if you do. Many people take this to mean there's some kind of mutual submission. We're all submitting to one another. I don't know how that works without a fight erupting in the parking lot. No, I'm submitting to you. Oh, no, I'm submitting to you. I think the better understanding of this is that In those stations in life, in those situations in life where God commands you to submit to another, you submit to the government with limitations, not if they tell you to violate God's commands. You submit to a husband with limitations. You submit to your parents. Even there, there may be limitations. But in those circumstances in which God tells you to be submissive, then this is an evidence of you being spirit-filled. You are submissive to those people in those circumstances. I think that's a better way of understanding it, and so do some of the very fine commentators who live on my shelf. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, out of reverence for Christ, that is a spirit filled Christian. So, again, these are not how you become a believer, that's by saving faith. These are how you walk as a believer. Oh, Lord, increase my wisdom. Amen? Yeah, increase my understanding. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time in your presence and in your word. We receive it as it is indeed the word of God and pray that it would bear much and lasting fruit in our lives. So, Father, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Even now, as soon we're about to lift our hearts in song to to you and to one another again, we, we pray that you'll fill us with your Spirit. But not just then. In all of our life, increase our wisdom. Give us understanding. Help us to obey everything that Jesus commands, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.